Purgatory Explained Part 2, Chapter 54 Advantages Salutary Thoughts Besides the advantages, which we have already considered, charity toward the departed is very salutary to those who practice it, because it stimulates them to fervor in the service of God and inspires the holiest thoughts. To think of the souls in purgatory is to think of the sufferings of the other life. It is to call to mind that all sin demands expiation, either in this life or in the next. Now, who does not understand that it is better to make satisfaction here, since future chastisements are so terrible? A voice seems to come forth from purgatory, repeating these words of the imitation. Better is it to purge away our sins and to cut off our vices now than to keep them for purgation hereafter. We call to mind also this other sentence of which we read in the same chapter. There, one hour of punishment will be more grievous than one hundred years of the most bitter penance here. Then, penetrated with salutary fear, we willingly endure the sufferings of the present life, and we say to God with St. Augustine and St. Louis Bertrand, Lord, apply here iron and fire. Spare me not in this life, in order that you may spare me in the next. Penetrated with these thoughts, the Christian regards the tribulations of the present life, and especially the sufferings of a painful malady, as a purgatory upon earth which will dispense him from purgatory after death. On January 6th, 1676, there died in Lisbon, at the age of 69 years, the servant of God, Gaspar Lorenzo, brother, coadjutor, tutor to the Society of Jesus, and porter of the professed house of that institute. He was full of charity toward the poor and towards the souls in purgatory. He knew not how to spare himself in the service of the unfortunate, and was marvelously ingenious in teaching them to bless God for their misery, which was to purchase heaven for them. He himself was so penetrated with the happiness of suffering for a Lord that he crucified his flesh almost without measure and added other austerities on the vigils of communion days. At the age of 78, he would accept no dispensation from the fast and abstinences of the church, and allowed no day to pass without taking the discipline at least twice. Even in his last illness, the brother infirmarian said that the approach of death did not make him divest himself of his hair shirt. So great was his desire to die upon the cross. The sufferings of his agony 
which were most cruel, might have taken the place of the most rigorous penances. When asked if he suffered much, I am undergoing my purgatory before departing for heaven, he replied with a joyous air. Brother Lorenzo was born on the day of Epiphany, and our Lord had revealed to him that this beautiful day was to be also that of his death. He designated the hour on the previous night, and when the infirmarian visited him at daybreak, he said to him with a smile expressive of doubt, It is not today, brother, that you expect to go and enjoy the vision of God? Yes, he replied, as soon as I shall have received the body of my Savior for the last time. In fact, he received Holy Communion and expired without struggle and went and without agony. There is, then, every reason to believe that he spoke with a supernatural knowledge of the truth when he said, I am undergoing my purgatory before departing for heaven. Another servant of God received from the Blessed Virgin herself the same assurance that his earthly suffering would take place of pur purgatory. I speak of Father Michael de la Fontaine, who slept sweetly in the Lord on February 11, 1606, at Valencia in Spain. He was one of the first missionaries who labored for the salvation of the people of Peru. His greatest care when instructing the new converts was to inspire them with a sovereign horror of sin and to lead them to great devotion toward the Mother of God by speaking of the virtues of that admirable, admirable virgin and teaching them to recite the beads in her honor. Mary, on her part, did not refuse the favors asked of her. One day, when exhausted with fatigue, she lay prostrate in the dust, not having enough strength to rise. He was visited by her, whom the church styles with reason comforter of the afflicted. She reanimated his courage, saying to him, Confidence, my son, your fatigue will take the place of purgatory for you. Bear your sufferings patiently, and on leaving this life, your soul will be received into the abode of the blessed. This vision was for Father de la Fontaine during life, but especially at the hour of his death, a source of abundant consolation. In gratitude for this favor, he each week practiced some particular penance. At the moment when he expired, a religious of eminent virtue saw his soul take its flight to heaven in company of the Blessed Virgin the Prince of the Apostles, St. John the Evangelist, and of St. Ignatius, the founder of the Company of Jesus. Purgatory Explained, Part 2, Chapter 55, Advantages, Salutary Instruction.
Besides the holy thoughts, which devotion to the holy souls suggests, the latter sometimes contribute directly to the spiritual welfare of their benefactors. In the life of Blessed Mary of the Angels, of the Order of Mount Carmel, it is said that it is almost beyond belief how frequent were the apparitions of the souls of purgatory who came to implore her assistance and afterwards to thank her for their deliverance. Very often they conversed with the Blessed Sister, giving her useful advice for herself or for her sisters and revealing things related to the other world. On the Wednesday within the octave of the Assumption, she writes, while saying the evening prayers, one of our good sisters appeared to me. She was clad in white, surrounded with glory and splendor, and so beautiful that I thought of nothing here below to which I could compare her. Fearing some illusion of the devil, I armed myself with the sign of the cross, but she smiled and disappeared shortly after. I begged our Lord not to permit me to be deceived by the demon. The following night the sister appeared again, and calling me by my name, said, I come on the part of God to let you know that I am in the enjoyment of eternal bliss. Tell our mother prioress that it is not the design of God to reveal to her the destiny that awaits her. Tell her to place her confidence in St. Joseph and in the souls in purgatory. Having said this, she disappeared. St. Peter Claver, apostle of the Negroes of Carthagena, was aided by the souls in purgatory in his work of the apostolate. He did not abandon the souls of his dear Negroes after their death. Penances, prayers, masses, indulgences, as far as depended upon himself, he applied to them, says Father Furian, his biographer. Thus it often happened that those poor afflicted souls, sure of his power with God, came to ask the assistance of his prayers. The fastidiousness and incredulity of our century, says the same author, does not prevent us from relating some a few additional facts. They may perhaps appear worthy of the raillery of freethinkers, but does it not suffice to know that God is the master of these occurrences and that they are, moreover, so well authenticated as to deserve a place in a history written for Christian readers? A sick Negro, whom he had taken into his room and laid upon his own bed, having heard a noise as of loud moaning during the night, fear made him run fast to Father Claver, who was kneeling in prayer. Oh, Father, he cried, what is that dreadful noise which terrifies me and prevents me from sleeping 
Return, my son, replied the holy man, and go to sleep without fear. Then, having assisted him to get into bed, he opened the door of the chamber, said a few words, and immediately the moaning ceased. Several other Negroes, being occupied in repairing a house at some distance from the city, one of them went out to cut wood upon a neighboring mountain. As he approached the forest, he heard himself called by his name from the top of a tree. He raised his eyes in the direction whence the voice came, and not seeing anyone, was about to take to flight and join his companions. But he was stopped in a narrow path by a frightful specter, discharged a shower of blows upon him with a whip furnished with pieces of red-hot iron, and saying, Why have you not got your rosary? Carry it about you in the future, and say it for the souls in purgatory. The phantom then ordered him to ask of the mistress of the house for three gold pieces which were due to him, in which he was to take to Father Claver after masses, that masses might be offered for his intention, after which he disappeared. In the meantime, the noise of the blows and the cries of the Negro who had brought his companions to the spot, where they found him more dead than alive, covered with wounds he had received, and unable to utter a word. They carried him to the house where the mistress acknowledged that in reality she owed the sum of money in, qu in question to a negro who had died some time previous. Father Claver, on being informed of what had occurred, said the masses which were asked of him, and gave a rosary to the negro who never afterwards, whoever afterwards wore it, and never omitted to say it daily. Purgatory Explained, Part 2, Chapter 56, Advantages, Salutary Instructions. St. Magdalene de Pazzi, in an apparition of a departed soul, received the most wholesome instruction on religious virtues. There was in her convent a sister named Mary Benedicta, who was distinguished for her piety, her obedience, and all other virtues, which are the ornament of holy souls. She was so humble, says Father Capari, and had such contempt for herself that without the guidance of her superiors she would have gone to extremes with the sole view of acquiring the reputation of being a person without prudence and without judgment. She therefore had said that she could not help feeling jealous of St. Alexis, who found a means of living a hidden life contemptible in the eyes of the world. She was so docile and prompt in obedience 
that she ran like a little child at the least sign of the will of her superiors, and the latter were obliged to use great circumspection in the orders which they gave her, lest she should go beyond their desires. In fact, she had gained such control over her passions and appetites that it would be difficult to imagine a more perfect mortification. This good sister died suddenly, having had but a few hours of sickness. The following morning, which was Saturday, when during the Mass which was celebrated, the religious were singing the Sanctus, Magdalene was wrapped in ecstasy. During the rapture, God showed her this soul under the corporal form in the glory of heaven. She was adorned with a gold star, which she had received in recompense for her ardent charity. All her fingers were covered with costly rings on account of her fidelity to all the rules and the care she had taken to sanctify her most ordinary actions. Upon her head she wore a very rich crown, because she had always loved obedience and suffering for Jesus Christ. In fact, she surpassed in glory a great multitude of virgins, and she contemplated her spouse Jesus with singular familiarity because she had so loved humiliation, according to these words of our Savior, he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Such was the sublime lesson which the saint received in reward for her charity toward the departed. The thought of purgatory incites us to labor zealously and to fly the least fault in order to avoid the terrible expiations of the other life. Father Paul Hoffe, who died a holy death at Ingolstadt in the year 1608, made use of this thought for his own benefit and that of others. He never lost sight of purgatory, nor ceased to relieve the poor souls who frequently appeared to him to solicit his suffrages. As he was superior of his brethren in religion, he often exhorted them first to sanctify themselves, the better to be able afterwards to sanctify others, and never to neglect the smallest prescription of their rule. Then he would add with great simplicity, otherwise I fear you will come like several others have done, to ask my prayers that you may be delivered from purgatory. In his last moments, he was wholly occupied in loving colloquies with our Lord, his blessed mother, and the saints. He was sensibly consoled by a visit of a very holy soul who had preceded him to heaven, but two or three days previous and who now invited him to go and enjoy the eternal love of God. When we say that the thought of purgatory makes us use all means to avoid it, it is evident 
that we have reason to fear that we shall go there. Now, on what is this fear based? If we but reflect a little upon the sanctity required to enter heaven and the frailty of human nature, which is the source of so many faults, we easily understand that this fear is but too well founded. Moreover, do not the examples we have read above show us clearly that very often even the holiest soul have sometimes to undergo expiation in the other life? Venerable Father Claude de la Colombière died in the odor of sanctity at Paris, February 15, 1682 as Blessed Margaret Mary had predicted him to. As soon as he had expired, a pious girl came to announce his death to Sister Margaret. The holy religious, without showing any disturbance or breaking forth into vain regrets, said simply to that person, Go and pray to God for him and cause prayers to be everywhere offered for the repose of his soul. The father had died at five o'clock in the morning. That same evening, she wrote a note to the same person in these terms. Cease to be afflicted. Invoke him. Fear nothing. He is more powerful to aid us than ever. These words give us to understand that she had been supernaturally enlightened regarding the death of this holy man and of the state of his soul in the other life. Sister Margaret's peace and tranquility at the death of a director who had been useful to her was another sort of miracle. The blessed sister loved nothing except in God and for God. God held the place of all else in her eyes heart, and consumed by the fire of his love all other attachments. The superior was surprised at her perfect tranquility on the death of the holy missionary, and still more so that Margaret did not ask to do any extraordinary penance for the repose of his soul, as was her custom on the death of any one of her acquaintances in which she was particularly inter interested. The mother superior asked the servant of God the reason for this, and she replied quite simply, He is in no need of it. He is in a condition to pray for us, since he is exalted in heaven by the sacred heart of our divine Lord. Only to expiate some slight negligence in the practice of divine love, he added, his soul was deprived of the vision of God from the time it left his body until the moment when his remains were consigned to the tomb. Let us add one example more, that of Father Corbinelli. This holy person was not exempted from purgatory. It is true he was not detained there, 
but he had to pass through the flames before being admitted into the presence of God. Louis Corbinelli of the Company of Jesus died in the odor of sanctity at the professed house in Rome in the year 1591. Almost at the same time with St. Aloysius Gonzaga. The tragic death of Henry II, King of France, gave him a disgust for the world, and he decided to consecrate himself entirely to the service of God. In the year 1559, the marriage of the Princess Elizabeth was celebrated with great in the city of Paris. Among other amusements, a tournament was organized in which figured the flower of the French nobility and chivalry. The king himself appeared in the midst of his brilliant court. Among the spectators, gathered even from foreign lands, was Louis, young Louis Corbinelli who had come from his native city, Florence, to assist at the festival. Corbinelli contemplated with admiration the glory of the French monarch, now at its zenith of his grandeur and prosperity, when suddenly he saw him fall, struck by a fatal blow aimed by an imprudent tilter. The lance badly directed by Montgomery transpierced the king, who expired bathed in his blood. In the twinkling of an eye, all his glory vanished, and the royal magnificence was covered with a shroud. This event made a salutary impression upon Corbinelli. Seeing the vanity of human greatness thus exposed, he renounced the world and embraced a religious life in the society of Jesus. His life was that of a saint, and his death filled with joy all those who were witness of it. It took place a few days before that of St. Aloysius, who was then sick in the Roman college. The young saint announced to Cardinal Bellarmine that the soul of Father Corbinelli had entered into glory. And when the Cardinal asked him if it had not passed through purgatory, it passed through, he replied, but it did not stay. Purgatory Explained, Part 2, Chapter 57 Advantages, Stimulant to Fervor, Cautions to Us If wholly religious pass through purgatory, although not detained there, have we not to fear that we shall not only pass through it, but also remain for a longer or shorter time? Can we live in a security that would be, to say the least, very imprudent? 
Our faith and our conscience tell us that our fear of purgatory is well-grounded. I go still further, dear reader, and say that with a little reflection, you yourself must acknowledge that it is very probable and almost certain that you will go to purgatory. Is it not true that on leaving this earth, your soul will enter into one of those three abodes pointed out to us by faith? Hell, heaven, or purgatory? Will you go to hell? Is it not probable? It is not probable because you have a horror of mortal sin. And for nothing in the world would you commit one or keep it upon your conscience after having committed it. Will you go to heaven? Your answer immediately that you think yourself unworthy of such a favor. There remains then but purgatory, and you must own that it is very probable, almost certain, that you will go into that place of expiation. By setting this grave truth before your eyes, do not think, dear reader, that we wish to frighten you or take from you all hope of entering heaven without purgatory. On the contrary, this hope must ever remain deeply impressed upon our hearts, for it is the Spirit of Jesus Christ who nowise desires that his disciples should stand in need of future expiation. He even instituted sacraments and established all sorts of means to assist us to make full satisfaction in this world. But these means are too often neglected, and it is especially by a salutary fear that we are stimulated to make use of them. Now, what are those means which we have to employ in order to avoid or at least shorten our purgatory and mitigate its rigor? They are evidently those exercises and good works which most assist us to satisfy for our faults in this world and to find mercy before God, namely the following. Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary and fidelity in wearing her scapular, charity toward the living and the dead, mortification and obedience, a pious reception of the sacraments, especially on the approach of death, confidence in the divine mercy, and finally, the holy acceptation of death in union with the death of Jesus upon the cross. These means are sufficiently powerful to preserve us from purgatory, but we must make use of them. Now, to employ them seriously and with perseverance, one condition is necessary. It is to form a firm resolution of satisfying in this world rather than in the next. This resolution must be based upon faith which teaches us how easy it is satisfaction in this life, how terrible is purgatory. 
Be at agreement with thy adversary betimes, says Jesus Christ, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest perhaps thy adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Amen, I say to thee, thou shalt not go out from thence till thou repay the last farthing. Matthew 5:25 To be reconciled with our adversary in the ways in the way signifies in the mouth of our Lord to appease divine justice and to make satisfaction on our way through life before reaching that unchangeable end that eternity where all penance is impossible and where we shall have to submit to all the rigors of justice. Is not this counsel of our divine Savior most wise? Can we appear before the tribunal of God burdened with an enormous debt which we might so easily have discharged by some works of penance? and which we shall then have to pay by years of torment? He who purifies himself from his faults in the present life, says St. Catherine of Genoa, satisfies with a penny a debt of a thousand ducats. And he who waits until the other life to discharge his debts consents to pay a thousand ducats for that which he might have Paid before with a penny. We must therefore begin with the firm and efficacious resolution of making satisfaction in this world that is the foundation stone. This foundation once laid, we must employ the means enumerated above. Purgatory explained. Part 2, Chapter 58 Means to Avoid Purgatory Great Devotion to the Blessed Virgin A servant of God sums up these means and reduces them to two, saying, Let us cleanse our souls by water and by fire, that is to say, by the water of tears, and by the fire of charity and good works. In fact, we may classify them all under these two exercises, and this is conformable to Holy Scripture, where we see that souls are cleansed from their stains and purified like gold in the crucible. But since we must seek above everything to be practical, let us follow the method we have indicated and which has been practiced with so much success by the saints and by all fervent Christians. In the first place, in order to obtain great purity of soul and in consequence to have little reason to fear purgatory, we must cherish a great devotion toward the Blessed Virgin Mary. This good mother will so assist her dear children in cleansing their souls and in shortening their purgatory 
that they may live in the greatest confidence. She even desires that they should not trouble themselves on this subject and that they should not allow themselves to be discouraged by excessive fear, as she herself deigned to declare to her servant, Jerome Carvalho, of whom we have already spoken. Have confidence, my son, she said to him. I am the mother of mercy for my dear children in purgatory, as well as for those still living upon earth. In the revelations of St. Bridget, we read something similar. I am, said the Blessed Virgin to her, the mother of all those who are in the place of expiation. My prayers mitigate the chastisements inflicted upon them for their faults. Book 4, Chapter 1 For those who wear the holy scapular, have a special right to the protection of Mary. The devotion of the Holy Scapular, unlike that of the Rosary, does not consist in prayer, but in the pious practice of wearing a sort of habit, which is as the livery of the Queen of Heaven. The Scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, of which we here speak, traces its origin back to the 13th century and was first preached by Blessed Simon Stock, fifth general of the Order of Mount Carmel. <clears throat> this celebrated servant of Mary, born in Kent, England, in the year 1165, whilst yet young, retired into a solitary forest to apply himself to prayer and penance. He chose as his dwelling the hollow of a tree, to which he attached a crucifix and a picture of the Blessed Virgin, whom he honored as his mother, and ceased not to invoke with the tenderest affection. For twelve years he entreated her to make known to him what he could do that would be most agreeable to her divine son when the Queen of Heaven told him to enter the Order of Mart Carmel, which was particularly devoted to her service. Simon obeyed and under the protection of Mary became an exemplary religious and the ornament of the Order of Mount Carmel of which he was elected superior general in 1245. One day, it was the 16th of July, 1251, the Blessed Virgin appeared to him, surrounded by a multitude of heavenly spirits, and with a countenance radiant with joy, she presented to him a scapular of a brown color, saying, Receive, my dear son, this scapular of thy order. It is the badge of my confraternity and the pledge of a privilege which I have obtained for thee and for thy brethren of Mount Carmel. Those who die devoutly clothed in this habit shall be preserved from the eternal fire. It is the sign of salvation a safeguard in peril, a pledge of peace, 
and special protection until the end of time. The happy old man everywhere published the favor he had received, showing the scapular, healing the sick, and working other miracles in proof of this mar marvelous mission. Immediately, Edward I, King of England, Louis IX, King of France, and after their example, almost all the sovereigns of Europe, as also a great number of their subjects, received the same habit. From that time commences the celebrated confraternity of the scapular, which was soon afterwards canonically erected by the Holy See. Not content with granting this first privilege, Mary made another promise in favor of the members of the confraternity of the scapular by assuring them of a speedy deliverance from the sufferings of purgatory. About 50 years after the death of Blessed Simon, the illustrious pontiff John XXII, whilst at prayer in the early morning, saw the Mother of God appear surrounded with light and bearing the habit of Mount Carmel. Among other things, she said to him, If among the religious or members of the confraternity of Mount Carmel, there are any who, on account of their faults, are condemned to purgatory, I will descend into the midst of them like a tender mother on the Saturday after their death. I will deliver them and conduct them to the holy mount of eternal life. These are the words which the pontiff places on the lips of Mary in his celebrated bull of 3rd March 1322, commonly called the Sabbatine bull. He concludes in these words, I therefore accept this holy indulgence. I ratify and confirm it upon the earth, as Jesus Christ has graciously granted it in heaven through the merits of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary. This privilege was afterwards confirmed by a great many bulls and decrees of the sovereign pontiffs. Such is the devotion of the Holy Scapular. It is sanctioned by the practice of pious souls throughout the Christian world, by the testimony of 22 popes, by the writings of an incalculable number of pious authors, and by multiplied miracles during the past 600 years. So that, says the illustrious Benedict the 14th, he who dares call in question the validity of the devotion of the scapular, or deny its privileges, would be a, a proud despiser of religion. <laughs>